Good morning. Now, just before I get started this morning, um, I want to remind you that our new series in James is beginning about the middle of October. And that new series in James involves life groups. So there'll be life group meetings through the week and life group material that will come from the sermons. And my lovely assistants here are handing out um, information for you to, or not information, but a sign-up sheet for you to sign up to say you're interested in joining a life group. And uh, there's put your contact information there and a few things. And we will make sure that you get put into an appropriate life group in your area or uh, with the right blend of people uh, in order to participate in that on the correct night that works for you during the week. So we want people to be signed up for that. Last time we did life groups, we were on the knowledge of the holy and reading a book on Tozer. And I heard a little bit of feedback from some people. A lot of people loved it, but I heard a little tiny bit of feedback from some people. It's like, oh, it was very esoteric. It was kind of, you know, out there. It was all very sort of cerebral. Well, James is not cerebral. After a couple of weeks in James, you will wish for cerebral. You'll be like, oh, just give me Tozer and those, you know, beautiful doctrines of God again, because James is rebuking me every single week about what a poor Christian I am. And so... Trust me, after a couple of weeks of James, you may pine for the days of the knowledge of the holy. Um, But no, it'll be good um, as we preach through that and as we study that and uh, what uh, James has to say to the church and to say to us today as Christians. Um, Today's Communion Sunday, and communion is when we remember the work that Jesus did, obviously, on our behalf on the cross. Uh, He removed the guilt and penalty of sin from those who have put their trust in him. And at the cross, Jesus put an end to the old covenant, and he put an end to the temple and its sacrifices, and he perfectly fulfilled the old law, and he's given us a new covenant in the New Testament, a new covenant based on his work on the cross and on his blood. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time and read your Bible or sat in church for more than a year or two, you will have seen or been taught that Jesus is the fulfillment or the reality of Old Testament shadows or Old Testament um, ceremonies that pointed to the reality that would come in Jesus. And most often, Jesus is seen as representing the true and final Passover. 1 Corinthians 5-7, Paul says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In other words, a spiritual fulfillment of what was described physically in the rescue of Israel, God's people, out of Egypt. Uh, A lamb slain, the blood painted over the doorposts, the houses of Israel in Egypt protected from the judgment of God, and then subsequently set free from slavery and beginning a journey with God out of captivity to a promised land. And Jesus is all of that. He is the true and final Passover. He is our protection and our rescue. You may have also seen in your Bibles and heard taught that Jesus is our sin offering and our guilt offering. And so Leviticus chapter 4 is the focus of the sin offering. And the focus of the sin offering is on cleansing. A sacrificial animal was burned on an altar And the rest of the animal was carried outside of the tabernacle premises and burned outside of the camp. And that sacrificial blood was used to cleanse the furniture of the tabernacle, signifying that our sin pollutes God's house. And Jesus is that sin offering. The priest who sinned would 
sprinkle the veil which separated the holy place from the holy of holies seven times, and he put the blood on the horns of the altar of incense. And this would acknowledge that the things of God, that our sin has tainted the household of God, and it needs to be cleansed. Well, God doesn't dwell in the tabernacle or temple today. Our hearts are his new temple. And so we're told in Hebrews chapter 10 that Jesus is our sin offering. In 13, 10 to 12, he says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin and burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is our sin offering. You may have also heard that Jesus is our guilt offering. Leviticus chapter 5 focuses on the guilt offering, and that speaks to the need of bearing the cost for our guilt. The offering, the guilt offering, is sometimes referred to as the reparation offering. There's a debt that has been created And someone has to carry that debt. It doesn't go away. Once you are in debt, nothing magically makes the debt go away. The cost of whatever the debt was has to be borne. And in this offering, the sacrificial animal bore the cost of the debt on behalf of the worshiper who was incapable of bearing that debt that they had before God. And so the animal bore that debt. The debt we owe to God and those we've sinned against is greater than we can bear, and therefore God sent his Son not only to be our perfect sin offering, but also our perfect guilt offering. Isaiah speaks of Jesus, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's us. Jesus sees his offspring, and he shall prolong his days, Isaiah 53 says. So the word used there for offering of guilt is the same word as the guilt offering in Leviticus 5. But there's another offering. There's the Passover, there's the sin offering, there's the guilt offering, but there's another offering that Jesus fulfills. And we don't talk about this offering quite as often as we talk about the burnt offering or the sin offering or Passover or even the guilt offering. And it's the peace offering. Sin offering, Leviticus chapter 4. Guilt offering, Leviticus chapter 5. The the peace offering is described in Leviticus chapter 3. And what I want us to do today as we enter into this time of communion is to see how Jesus is our peace offering and why communion reflects for us today in the church the best example of Jesus as the peace offering and what the peace offering is intended to portray to God's people. So let me just pray before we read Leviticus chapter 3 and we will quickly understand the peace offering and how it is made real in Christ. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have, from the very beginning, decided on your initiative to choose a people for yourself. And Abraham was nobody, not particularly righteous, and you said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a people, a nation for me. And through this nation, I'm going to put my righteousness on display, my goodness, my mercy on display to all other nations. And God, we are thankful that it was your plan that it was not just going to be an ethnic nation with ritual sacrifices and ceremonies, but you intended to send your own son to fully repair the relationship, to be the perfect offering, to restore what we could not restore, to pay what we could not pay, to offer us a righteousness that is not our own. 
And so, Father, that's what we celebrate today in communion, and that's what we understand as you have pictured for us in the ceremonies and in the law that you have given your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Leviticus chapter 3, Jesus, our peace offering. We only have to look at the first five verses in Leviticus chapter 3 because the rest of Leviticus chapter 3 is a repetition of these five verses uh, for three different kinds of animal. The first one is a cattle, and then it's for a lamb, and then it's for a goat. But we'll just look at the one because it's the same for each. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasant aroma to the Lord. Now, I was thinking of having like pictures and videos here to describe... (laughs) what was going on, and then I thought, no, I mean, that is the intent, so if I was to be a true teacher of the Word of God, the intent of the grisly nature of these sacrifices is deliberate, it is the lesson that God wants you to get, so I encourage you to join some of our hunters and farmers uh, later on in the fall when they bring home their kill. Graham Borgdorf, who was just up here on stage, could gladly show you the loins and the kidneys and the inner entrails of a slaughtered animal. Or Pete Curry, maybe if he gets a moose this year, um, he could help you out with that. We've got hunters and farmers here who could help you very visually understand what God is trying to get across here. But this was the offering, the peace offering that was made. And what we need to understand very broadly is the offering of peace, or the korban shalem, um, was uh, given for that purpose, to have peace. Not feelings of peace, but to reconcile. Uh, You can see in the word for peace offering, shalem, uh, is peace offering, and that's probably ringing some bells even in people who don't know Hebrew, um, is that shalem is peace offering, shalem is the word for peaceful, and shalom means peace, well-being, or wholeness between two people, that relationship that is restored. The ending of hostility is what is in mind here. Not, oh, I feel peaceful, like I've just had a day at the spa, but we are at peace. We have well-being and harmony between each other. The peace offering was unique offering because it ended in a meal that was shared with God and with others. The priests and his, the worshiper's family and, in fact, the whole congregation had opportunity in his household to participate in a meal at the end of the peace offering, and that was not like other offerings. The other thing that's interesting about the peace offering is that it was a voluntary sacrifice. It was not strictly required like the sin offering or the guilt offering in order to justify ourselves or justify the worshiper before God or to cleanse them before God. It was a voluntary 
uh, ritual or meal that was graciously given by God to his people so that they would be able to come into God's presence and literally eat with him, have fellowship with God and with each other to give him thanks, to commemorate faithfulness. Uh, There was a peace offering given uh, at the crowning of King Saul in 1 Samuel 11. It was also used by God's people to draw near to him when they felt they were distant from him, when they felt they couldn't draw near to him. God gave the peace offering to say, you can draw near to me, even when you feel guilty, even when you feel you are not able to enter my presence. And we see that in 2 Samuel 24, when David offers a peace offering to God after the sin of his taking a census and, and counting on his own strength instead of counting on God's strength. And he knows he's at a distance from God, and so he offers a peace offering to come into God's presence. So it is a peace offering, it is a meal, it is a voluntary thing that God's people do to enter into the presence of God. And God gave them that as a gift that they could do anytime they wanted. They could, they could have a peace offering every other day if they wanted to. Specifically, the peace offering, if we look at it here, uh, the form of the sacrifice is very precise. As I read that, you're thinking, this is very exact. It's very well-regulated and clear. And if we take nothing else away from that, we can take away from all of the very specific details of the tabernacle and the sacrifices and exactly how you approach God to understand that God cares about how we approach him. For our safety, by the way, he cares about how we approach him. Because he is a righteous God. He is a pure God. He is a God that utterly destroys sin whenever it comes into his presence. And so we are very careful about how we worship God. And we don't worship cavalierly or insincerely. And so it's important how we come. There's one way that God has given his people, Israel, to come into his presence. One place, one way, one prescribed method that he has given this piecemeal to happen between us and them between us and him. And so we must approach in the one way that he is given. We see, first of all, that the peace offering is an animal without blemish or spot. The peace offering is to be the best example of an offering. It is a perfect selection from among a herd of imperfect creatures. It is a perfect representative of a herd that is otherwise imperfect. You looked at your herd, and there was a lame calf, and there was one that was kind of got a scar on it, and there was one that was just kind of a little confused, never seemed to come into the barn at the right time with everybody else. And it's like, no, it's not that calf we're going to take. We're going to take the prize calf. We're going to take the prize animal, the perfect animal. The substitute, the offering, was to be a perfect example among an imperfect group a perfect representative of those who were not perfect. We see then that the offerer, the worshiper, laid his hands on the animal, and that laying your hands on the head of the animal was a sign of substitution. The imperfection of the worshiper was imparted to the perfect animal to bear in a substitutionary way. And then the animal is slain at the entrance to the tabernacle, the entrance to the to the temple later. Not in the temple courts or not in the tabernacle courts like the sin and the guilt offering. This sacrifice was, takes place outside of God's territory, so to speak. It happens on our turf. And so this peace offering is a perfect among the imperfect who is sacrificed where we live, out where we are, outside God's territory. And then the blood of the animal and its entrails are brought into the outer courts of the temple. 
The blood of the animal is sprinkled around the sides of the altar to show the imperfection of the worshiper is borne away and cleansed by the blood of the animal, and the perfection and innocence of the animal is then imparted to the worshiper. We notice here, just to differentiate it from the sin and the guilt offering, that the blood of the peace offering was not primarily brought into the inner holy place of the temple for God to see and be satisfied. The blood of the guilt offering is sprinkled on the mercy seat. It's sprinkled on the holy of holies, on the, on the different furniture that's inside God's tabernacle. But this blood of the, of the peace offering isn't sprinkled for God to see, it's sprinkled outside on the altar for the offerer to see, so that when the worshiper, when the offerer saw the blood on the altar, they could see and they could know that they had peace with God. It was not primarily so that God could see the blood and be satisfied, it was so that the worshiper could see the blood and be assured that he had peace. And then we see that the fat and the innermost parts of the animal were then burned as God's portion of the peace offering or the peace meal for a food offering. Out of the best animal, the best portion is for God. God has given into this worshiper's possession in his herd the best of the best. He went to his herd and he picked out the best of the best that God had given him in his herd. And the worshiper then takes the best of the best that God has given him in his flock back to God only the best and perfect offering which he has already received from the hand of God, he offers back for God's portion. And now after this sort of miniaturized sin offering was made, the blood sprinkled, the best part of the animal burned, the intent of the peace offering could finally be realized. Now the peace offering could come to its culmination. It was concluded in a meal, a feast even, that could go on for a day or two. If you look ahead, Leviticus 7 actually gives some more detail on the peace offering. And depending on the circumstances as to why it was offered, whether it was for a vow or Thanksgiving or whatever, you could have the meal go on for a couple of days, but not three days. On the third day, whatever was left over had to be burned and consumed completely. It was done. But for up to two days, you could just have like a giant house party with all of this food that you had given uh, from the rest of the animal after the offering. Leviticus 7 goes on to say this meal was to be shared with the priests who got the breast and the right thigh joint, very specific, not the left thigh joint, the right thigh joint, and the worshiper's family and their household got the rest of the animal. And for everyone in the household and in the extended family, it was the opportunity for joyful festive meal in God's presence. Deuteronomy 12 gives us a hint of how this was to go. He says, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So it's to be for everybody included. And verses 12 and 19 give even wider instructions on sharing. And in totality, this sacrifice and this meal, this fellowship offering of shalom was pleasing to God. Remember at the end of Leviticus 3.5, it says, it is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In other words, it was satisfying and delightful to God that he might receive this offering and eat this meal with his people. But Leviticus 7 warns that the sharing of this meal was only to take place among those who were truly among the people of God. 
No unclean person was to try to participate in the peace offering. It says, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings while an uncleanness is on him, or if he's an unclean person, that person shall be cut off from his people. And so to participate in what is supposed to be an offering or a meal of well-being and harmony, if you are out of harmony or out of well-being with God or the people that you are eating with, then that is a no-no. You come into this offering prepared and clean. That's the peace offering or the fellowship offering, the korban shalem. And as we've learned many times, the Old Testament foreshadows what becomes real in the New Covenant. The New Covenant is a reality of Old Covenant shadows. And so from this understanding of the peace offering, I want us to consider Christ our peace offering. And there's many texts we could turn to in the New Testament to see how Jesus has fulfilled every condition of this offering. But selecting just a few will summarize them all. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, Peter says Jesus is the perfect animal. No blemish, no spot that is selected from among a herd, a flock, whatever you call a group of humans on planet Earth. He is the perfect one without spot that is selected from among the imperfect. There is no perfect man or woman descended from fallen Adam who could ever represent us before God. And so God himself supplied us with a new Adam, the new man. His son, Jesus, who is perfect in every way and completely free from sin, he is the choice parts and the fat. He is the perfect example and the perfect portion that is acceptable to God. To be a substitute, to put himself in our place, as Peter says here, in order that we might be ransomed. In other words, that he would exchange himself in order that we might go free, that any price demanded for us would be supplied by him. And once this substitutionary sacrifice is made on the cross, Paul then tells us how, through it, the offering of peace has been made to end hostility and allow us to be at peace with God. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the point of the peace offering, was to bring God's people near. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He's talking about the harmony and the unity of Jews and Gentiles there. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Hostility amongst God's people who are from every tribe and tongue and nation and hostility between God's people and God. Jesus is our peace offering for shalom amongst his people and shalom with God. And then furthermore, Paul tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
You see, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus has broken down what has separated us from God and each other, and he offers himself as a peace offering for those who are alienated from God. We need a peace offering because we do not naturally have fellowship with God. We are born into this world hostile towards God. We are born into this world at enmity with God. We cannot submit to the law of God with our minds. We are not even able to agree with it or want it. We're alienated from God in our affections. We love the things we should hate, and we hate the things we should love, and we are enemies of God. We are rebels. We need peace to be made with God. And then there is Jesus on the cross, suspended, shedding his blood, giving his life so that the rebels and enemies might have peace with God. There is the unblemished lamb. There is the blood. There is the best of the best, a satisfaction for our sin so that we can be at peace with God. Paul says later on in chapter 5 of Romans, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? It's almost like I was not at peace with God when I started my peace offering. When Jesus started this thing, we were not at peace with God. But since the lamb lamb has been slaughtered, since the best of the best has been offered to God, since the blood has been sprinkled at the altar, now we can get to the consummation. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that's all the preamble of the peace offering. Jesus going to the cross is the slaying of the animal, the gutting of the entrails, the blood on the altar. Now, since that has happened, now that we're reconciled, we can be saved by his life. Now it's the meal. Now it's the feast. Now it's the festival. If we are reconciled, then this peace offering has worked and we are saved by his life. Jesus has come back to life. God has declared, my son is the perfect offering, perfectly acceptable, willingly given. Voluntarily he went to give this peace offering and it is pleasing to me. It was pleased to crush him. His offering is like no other. It's one time for all people and his life will be evidence of my satisfaction and your salvation when he rises again. And this peace offering, once given for all, ends with a meal. Jesus has instituted for us in communion the means by which, through his sacrifice, we now are able to sit and eat as individuals and share a fellowship meal with God like no one else on planet Earth can except his children. We get to experience the shalom of God the well-being of God, because we are now at peace with him. And that's what communion is. It is God's people who are at peace with him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, able to have shalom, to have a meal, to commune with him. We might feel peaceful in these moments of communion, but the feelings of peace are only present because we are at peace with God. We share the peace meal every time we take communion. We have free and open access to the Father, and no enmity and no hostility remains. Charity Smith, the daughter of an Irish pastor, wrote a children's hymn and published it in 1860. It's the hymn called Before the Throne of God Above. There's lots of good doctrine in these old children's hymns, good good doctrine for adults. The third verse goes like this, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. 
Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I don't know why that's for kids, that's for me. (laughs) So we're about to take communion together. This is our communion Sunday. We're about to take communion. And, And I just, all of this preamble was really just to say, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done through Jesus Christ. He is our Passover. He is our sin offering. He is our guilt offering. But he's all of those things so that he can also be our peace offering. So that we can have shalom with God. And that's what this is about. Christ has done everything that's required for us to be able to come into this meal. And he's given himself. We participate. It sounds weird. I know for any non-Christians out there, people watching online, it sounds weird. But we're partaking of the sacrificial sacrifice when we take the cup and the bread. Jesus said symbolically, this is my body, this is my blood. Every time you do this, remember what I've done to bring you, to end the hostility and to bring you into peace with God. So remember what we are spiritually partaking in here. We are spiritually partaking in Christ, the peace offering, with whom we have peace with God. And for that reason, this meal, so remember there is a warning in Leviticus 7, it's for that reason that this meal is only for those who have been reconciled, as Paul says, by faith in Jesus. It's for those people who are in covenant relationship with God and who are no longer enemies but are at peace. And so if you feel like you're still an enemy, if you've never taken that step to accept Christ as your sacrifice and to come to lay down your sword, to say, I'm done with the fighting, I'm done with the rebelling, I just want you, God. I'm ending the battle. If you haven't done that yet, then just let this meal pass because you don't want to drink judgment upon yourself in the presence of a holy God. And that's okay. But do the heart work then to ask yourself, do you want to be in a hostile relationship with God or allow Jesus to reconcile that relationship and end the hostility? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what we're doing in communion. Let me just explain, as my helpers come forward to serve communion at this time, we're going to pass out the bread and the cup at the same time. So if you just hold it in your hands, and then we will take this fellowship meal, this peace offering uh, meal together. Um, As you hold it in your hands, you can be thinking about what Christ has done. And that people came and gave peace offerings for all kinds of reasons, both because they were joyful and wanted to celebrate with God and thank him, and they also came, like David did, and gave a peace offering because they felt they really didn't deserve to be in God's presence. And they really needed to feel the peace and harmony with God again. And so wherever you are today, you can take communion, whether you feel like you don't deserve it or whether you feel like you want to celebrate it with God. God says, you can come to me through my son, Jesus Christ. So just hold those things, meditate on those things that are going on in your own heart and in your own world, and then I will pray for the bread and the cup, and we'll take them together at the end. Bring
pray. Father God, we do remember again the incredible fulfillment of all of the law, of all of the sacrifices, of every promise that has its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. As the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God went to the cross,
to give his body, to give his blood, in order to give us a new covenant, a new relationship with you. Father, it's not contingent on the death of millions of animals. It's not contingent on our penance and doing one more good deed or just enough good deeds. It is due and rests entirely on the work of Christ on the cross. Father, we thank you that you have given us faith, that you've given us the ability to trust in that sacrifice and hold on to nothing else except that Christ has done this on our behalf. We thank you for his sacrifice, and we thank you that in exchange, even as we've placed our hands on his head before he goes, we've received his righteousness. That's what we remember. He takes our guilt. We get his righteousness. It's a merit that is not our own, but it is a merit that is now our own. We give you thanks for this. In Christ's name, amen.